If you are someone who struggles with an online gambling addiction, please take advantage of Gamban. Gamban is blocking software that will block gambling websites and gambling apps from your phone, your tablet, and your computer. Please go to Gamban.com for more information. And if you are in the UK, please take advantage of TalkBand Stop. Today's podcast is brought to you by KindBridge, the world's first virtual clinic dedicated to better outcomes for gamblers and gamers. If you're currently struggling with a gambling or gaming problem and you need to speak to a gambling or gaming specialist, check out KindBridge.com. KindBridge has specialists across most of the U.S. and their network is constantly growing. So keep up with them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for updates. KindBridge.com. Welcome to All in the Addicted Gamblers podcast. My name is Brian, and I have not placed a bet since July of 2014. And with me today is Susan Sheridan Tucker, the executive director of the North Star Problem Gambling Alliance. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. Great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. Round two. Susan and I did this once before. We had a lovely conversation for two hours, and uh, turns out in the end, I, I broke it. So we'll do it again. Susan was very nice to come back and talk to me again, which is great because there's just more time to talk about people in Minnesota and gambling addiction in Minnesota. I forget that we should do this because we've already done it once, and in my mind, it's done. But how did you get to be the executive director of the North Star Alliance, and what got you into uh, nonprofit? So uh, I've been with North Star for almost three years now, and um, most of my career has been with nonprofit agencies. I'm trained as a city planner, and so when I started my career, I was heavily involved in affordable housing projects in the New York um, metro area. I did a lot of affordable housing projects in New Jersey. And then um, my husband and I uh, moved to Minnesota and decided to raise our family and um, over the years got involved in different organizations. I ran an organization called CEO Roundtable, which was a group of uh, entrepreneurs in uh, Minnesota uh, that were growing their companies and then uh, was with them for quite a while. And then I uh, took a stint with the League of Women Voters, was director of the state office there. And um, after that stint, I took a little time to kind of think about, you know, a new direction and wasn't sure whether I wanted to go back to the um, executive director role. But I saw this position and it was really intriguing because, quite frankly, I knew nothing about gambling, problem gambling. And so I happened to know the the headhunter who had posted the position and uh, gave him a call and he knew me pretty well. And I was like, so what do you think? And he he said, no, I really think that this could be a good fit for you. And um, so that intrigued me. And so we set up an interview with the board and my initial thought was when I saw the composition of the board, which had uh, almost every stakeholder represented around the table. So we had people in recovery, researchers, uh, the gaming industry, treatment providers. And I thought, okay, you know, what are board meetings like? Are you throwing things at one another? You know, that how is it that they can come around to the table together? And what was very clear as I continued interviewing and having discussions was that 
this group was uh, very committed to helping people with problem gambling and that they knew where they disagreed, uh, but they also knew where their commonality uh, lied. And they really came together in, in, a, uh, in, I think, in a remarkable way to, to be able to take an issue that they all had touch points with, understanding that a certain percentage of the population really needed help and wanted to advocate uh, on their behalf. And so it's, um, it's been really a privilege and, um, and really uh, an opportunity for me to learn um, much more about gambling and problem gambling, addiction, and really appreciating this small but mighty community that seems to exist around the country. And uh, I've enjoyed meeting uh, people from the affiliate offices and on national and um, and then really having the privilege of listening to people's recovery stories because that's really what it's all about for us is is uh, making sure that we can provide as many resources as possible um, to those that need them. Well, that was excellent timing. Because speaking of recovery stories, you uh, posted one yesterday that I read that I thought was wonderful. I, I really enjoyed reading it about Margaret. North Star put out Margaret's story, and it was just a, a nice tale of a, a unique way in which she met her uh, therapist and how it really helped her. And a lot of uh, hurt in there, but has is staying away from gambling after all these years. And it was a, just a nice story that came out on uh, on on North Star on your on yeah. on your website there. Yeah, we um, we try to do so. We publish our um, Northern Light uh, newsletter every quarter. Oh, so, so that's, this would be part of that. This is part of our spring edition. We try to uh, provide a recovery story in in every edition because they're they're really important stakeholders uh, for our organization. Margaret had a lot, of, she suffered loss. It's, it's, I think, two husbands in there that passed. And then, but at the end, she talks about telling her her adult children. And that was a, a it's, she said, a big deal to her. And I just thought that was a nice way to end it because I I am an adult child. And I can't imagine if all of a sudden my mom came to me and told mm. me about this. Um, Jeff, who I do the podcast with, who you know, also had adult children, had to do this. And so when I read hers, I just thought, wow, man, you just, you forget the ways in which this impacts other people. Uh, and that's, I, I, I really like the story. So I'm glad you guys put that out. Thank you. What is legal currently in Minnesota that people can gamble on and what is not yet legal? And I'm just talking about online gaming and sports betting since that's the hot topic. Right. So we have um, 21 land casinos, all owned and operated by uh, the tribal nations. We have about so 3,100 outlets for charitable gambling. So basically your taverns and bars that offer pull tabs, which is not, not completely unique to Minnesota, but it is a, it's a favorite game for Minnesotans, uh, the, the pull tab. Lottery, of course, is uh, legal and bingo, that, those sorts of things. We have legislation in writing at this point, but not passed for sports betting. This is the third session that a bill or a couple of bills have been introduced 
but there's been no action on it. And so we're not expecting anything by the end of the session. I mean, the session officially ended, but we're going into special session in in mid-June, but I don't expect anything to come of that. Um, so for now, sports betting and online gambling is not legal in Minnesota. Have you heard of people betting on sports and betting online in Minnesota? Of course. It's... Uh, I, I think it's uh, being done more often than we would like to admit. And um, it's readily available. If you have a phone, you know, it's easy to do. And, you know, we do try to get the message out to folks that if you're doing online gambling in, in Minnesota, it's it's an illegal activity. And it's not, and it's not that we want to, you know, come down hard on the illegality of it. It's, it's the consumer protection piece yeah, of, of gambling on an on an offshore site, and and I think most people are not aware of the extra risks they take when they're doing offshore gambling. Yeah, that's a good point. One of the interesting things when we talked the first time that I thought was your reaction to when you. I want to say when you started where you said, we have an inpatient treatment facility. Wow. There must be a huge line to get in the door there. Uh, that's what I remember you, you saying. Yeah. And then of course yeah. your reaction to the reality. Could you tell me, could you tell that story again? Right. So um, as you said, when I found out that Minnesota had one of only four residential treatment centers in the country, I thought for sure there'd be a huge waiting line. When I, when I asked, well, how many beds, and they said 20. And I was like, oh, then the waiting list must just be tremendous because obviously very new, very green. Um, but I had been doing enough reading at that point that I understood the statistics. So I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, and to find out that 20 beds weren't filled um, and that it's a challenge to fill them was a real eye opener for me. And and it continues to, um, you know, puzzle me and also push me to further understand what role do we have as an advocacy agency to, um, to promote uh, treatment, that treatment works, um, and to really destigmatize uh, this addiction, because I think that's a large part of the reason why people don't seek treatment. And so how, how as an organization can we be instrumental in changing those hearts and minds out there? Because we know in Minnesota, based on the engaged survey that was done at the national level, and then within our own state, we, we did a survey that's 73% of Minnesotans still think it's a moral failing or a lack of willpower. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. That's a huge number of people to change hearts and minds. <laughs> so just we stop. have our work just cut out for us. Right. Just stop. Just stop. walk away. I can Take do that. You can do that. Come on. Just we'll walk away. Free steak downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not me. I would not walk away. I would not walk away. I didn't care about the steak downstairs. I didn't care about entertainment. Uh, I just wanted to sit and, I think, and not feel very much, except for right. those exciting moments. And I think that's for somebody who does not have any predilection for addiction, 
that that's a really hard thing for them to understand because, well, I can go to the casino. I can sit at a slot machine for an hour. And then when I've spent my money, I call it a night and I go home. I can do that. Why can't you? And, and the fact that so many people just don't understand it. And so what, what are the magic words for us you know, to, to figure out how to make people understand what this is about? I think there's an element of people that don't like victimhood. And so they don't want to feel like, well, I'm a victim of this. I should just be able to be strong enough and, and fight back. But it's just an overpowering addiction. Addiction is crazy. I did things I would never do in my right mind while I was gambling just to be able to gamble a little longer. I mean, I mean, I, I knew that I had a, a gambling addiction many times because I knew that the behavior I was doing, I was hiding from everybody. Nobody knew that I was going to go to the casino after work and stay there till four in the morning. Nobody knew that I got out of bed before to go to the casino late at night because an urge came. And if I said these things out loud to people, I knew the reaction I would get, especially if I said it to my parents or something. So I was pretty aware about my own addiction and that I was very good at hiding it. And it's easy to hide, especially when I lived alone or, you know, I I was married. It's just so easy to hide it. And now that you can do it on your phone, it's oh, even, even more so to hide right. it because everyone is on their phone all the time. And because it is tied to entertainment, right? I think that's the the other piece that for so many and for the for the operators themselves, I mean, they market it as a form of entertainment, that this is a way in which you can spend an evening and, and have fun. Um, and so um, for those where it isn't fun, you know, they're doing it because they're compelled to do it, they're, they're addicted to it, the element of fun has completely uh, been obliterated. Um, and, and yet again, it, I think there's an element of shame around, even from the operator's point of view, or in the regulator's point of view, like, oh, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to see that. Um, we're just going to turn our back and and pretend that's not that's not really happening, um, because that's not what we're about. You know, we're our our focus is on fun and entertainment, and and yet it's undeniable that you know percentage of uh, your customers are not having fun. The fun stop. There's that. There's a phrase in the UK they use when the fun stops. That's when you need to get help. And again, it just it just puts it on me, the gambler, to find help. And it's hard right. to find and help that's, when I don't want yeah. to. I don't want help. I want to keep gambling. Go ahead. Yeah, to have the responsibility sorely borne by the person with the addiction doesn't uh, make much sense, frankly. And and so we're starting to see some changes. I think there are some operators out there that have, I know the uh, British Columbia Lottery Corporation has, in the last couple of years, have set a goal for future-proofing the industry, which is a very aspirational goal where we're no money from problem gambling. So, which is a quite a aspirational goal for an operator to state, which would require quite a lot of intervention work with their customers. And I think, given the advancements that are happening in technology, there are opportunities there where the operator 
can absolutely see what a player is doing. They, they can understand how much money they're spending, you know, how frequently they're in, you know, what kind of losses, you know, all of that. And I think for an advocacy organization, our, our aim is to, you know, create pressure so that um, that kind of data is made available to third parties so that it's not kept just within house, but that it's publicly available so that we can see and learn from people who have problem gamblings. What is it that, you know, what are their behaviors? What are their patterns? What are ways in which some intervention can occur uh, that would be helpful to that person? And, And to learn from people who are already addicted so that perhaps more prevention pieces can be created further upstream so you're you're not dealing with people at the, you know at their depths it's kind of a you know two-edged sword this this availability of so much data can be a positive but it has to be in the right hands and there needs to be agreement that if you become aware that one of your customers is really you know in a in a in a deep dive then you have a responsibility as as the operator to i as you're saying this i'm i'm just thinking of an operator that would say whoa 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 we don't want any more of this person's money not on my watch and there are there are good people everywhere i think there are good people who work in the industry but i think the industry as a whole is is not very good at any of this and and continues to to show that as they go to war with each other on who gets the market share but I just I have a hard time believing that behind closed doors they're they're looking at the data and going, well, we should stop Steve because Steve is clearly doing too much damage. But we don't know anything about Steve's job. We don't know how much he makes. Maybe he can afford to gamble this much money. And then you get into talk of affordability checks. And I'm as much as I would love to see that, I'm also uncomfortable with it. it, it yeah, it's a it's a fine line be, between privacy, right? And um and and trying to help an individual um it does it does become tricky that's why i'm intrigued by what's going on in britain with um the banks and and some of their involvement yeah um where customers are allowed to opt in to a service where if they say do not accept credit card purchases from you know a liquor store um um you know a casino whatever uh, that those charges will be denied. It's it, it's a it's a step at least I think to help um, in the overall issue of trying to intervene um, on a, on behalf of a customer. But it's a tough call. It really is, and I think the jury is really still out on all of this. And I was we, just looking. I had I had messaged Monzo Bank is the one that I was familiar Monzo, with. Monzo, yeah, that did it. And I had messaged them, gosh, this was, oh, this was February. So not too long ago, right before right before we talked last time in Problem Gambling <laughs> Awareness Month. Uh, and I managed to work that into the conversation, even though it's not Problem Gambling Awareness Month anymore. But they said they were still in beta, so they can't do it yet in the US. But it, it looked like they were looking to, to bring it here, which was exciting new because again like anything helps little roadblock right right. even though someone can turn that off it takes a couple of days and it gives you that couple of days not going to solve your problem but it's going to delay you and in that time you might think 
it through, you might see what harm it could cause. And so anything like that is always good. Yeah, the more like guardrails I think yeah. that we can uh, create. Um, yes, if somebody is determined to gamble, they're going to gamble uh, until they're ready to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. But I think providing enough roadblocks or guardrails or whatever can certainly help and make a difference in the long run. So that's what we continue to, you know, the conversations we're having with some of the operators uh, now in, in terms of what does their responsible gambling program look like? Uh, we don't have a state um, health exclusion program. You have to go to each individual um, casino to self-exclude, which personally I think needs to, it should be one form. It, it should be very easy to opt in and very difficult to opt out. The more I think about it, the more I'd just like to see them close their doors for a period of time. And that forces every single person. I, I don't, you know, I'm sure you can do it online in some way, but for your 21 casinos, if they were closed, the same as a bar from 2 a.m., I'm assuming it's, is it 2 a.m. in Minnesota? 2 a.m., yeah. If they were just closed, forcibly closed, that means nobody can gamble during that time because they're closed and it's the rule or the law or the precedent. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. But I don't, I don't know why bars have to close and gambling establishments don't. Well, you can't be drunk at 4 a.m. Well, you should see me at 4 a.m. after I've lost my money and how. Yeah, you know, but if the casino is open, I, th I guess they're not serving. This, no, they stop serving. I, I they bring out the coffee. They, serving. they bring out they your free coffees and stuff. Oh, man. okay. Oh yes, it's 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 lovely in the casino after 3 a 4 a.m. They I always see you know those commercials with all the fun and it seems like a good time. And then if if you had my commercial, it would have just been me slowly, my eyes slowly shutting and a vacuum hitting my feet. Because that's when I was there at four in the morning. There was no reason, no reason I looked unhealthy to anybody who saw me at that hour. And if yeah. you checked my receipts, you would have been concerned that I wouldn't have been able to pay my bills. So it seems like there are simple solutions and I just have a hard time committing to something like an affordability check because I do think that's intrusive, but it would have saved, I don't want to say my life. It would have, I mean, it would save lives for sure. But for me, it would have certainly not derailed it as much as it did because right. and, I couldn't afford what I was gambling at all. And you think about the families too, you know, as you talk about um, deceiving people, right? That you're not letting people know what you're spending and how frequently you're gambling and, and how so many families find that out when it's, too you know, late. too late. And I just, I and, just talked to somebody else who the same thing, they gambled away money and the spouse doesn't see the bank accounts. Right. And the spouse didn't know until, and then the, where did the money go? Right. And that's just, that's unfair. <laughs> I, I, it is. And, and yet, you know, um, it, that's why, I mean, we have to look at this in a much more comprehensive way, that it's not just the person that's addicted, that it's the entire family unit that is uh, impacted by, by this addiction and, and uh, family unit. And then, you know, the wider community, what's the impact of having um, a serious problem gambler within your workplace or, um, you know, within your church community, within, you know, whatever, um, what, what is that doing? You know, how is that impacting? And so 
Um, one of our efforts coming into our, we'll be starting our new fiscal year in July is uh, we wanna spend more time looking at and, and speaking with families who have been impacted by problem gambling because I think that's an area that, that could use some, some further awareness, education. And as you were talking about stories, we know that people spend most of their time on our website reading the recovery stories. And um, we have some idea who those people are, um, uh, but we know that stories resonate with people. And so, you know, having families talk about what they experience firsthand, I think will be a helpful uh, tool um, for us to, to use in our prevention mes- messaging. That's great. That's great. Cause I do, I, I feel for those people who didn't get to do the gambling. They didn't even get the little bit of, Ooh, I'm right. having a good time. Nothing. Just a surprise that, Hey, you get affected by this addiction too. Um, it's, it, I'm glad to hear you guys are doing that. Uh, what else, what other programs does North star have? What have you worked on lately? I enjoyed what you said about more lived experience. Yeah, we, um, we just did our first, um, clergy, um, spiritual leader, uh, community leader training. Sorry. If you see me making a face, there's a giant thunderstorm going on outdoors. So if I disappear, it's (laughs) because, okay. And I'm making a face only because the last time we had a giant thunderstorm a few weeks back, lightning struck right next to our house and scared the junk out of me. Um, and like half our power went out too at that time. So, oh, great. This is the the thunderstorm after that. So I'm looking around my basement. I hear a lot of rumbling going on. So sorry if that is distracting. No, 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 that's fine. Uh, is your daughter okay? She's at daycare. uh, Oh, she's at daycare. Well, then she's okay. Oh, since we've last spoken, she started daycare. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been wonderful for for me as well. (laughs) We love each other. We needed a quick break. I completely understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No. So um, we just finished our inaugural training of clergy uh, community leaders. We were working with um, a small Nigerian uh, group here in Minnesota. And um, so they have gone through 16 hours of online training plus another eight hours of um uh, pseudo <laughs> in-person training. We did it over Zoom uh, given COVID, um, but it's an opportunity. We understood from having conversations with different immigrant communities that um, the initial conversation about seeking treatment wasn't gonna fly. Um, that uh, the way that they approach um, difficult issues in their community is often that they approach their pastors or their spiritual leaders. And so knowing that uh, some training was available for that, we thought we would make that um, a priority for this year to um, to do this kind of pilot program. And um, so we just finished that. We just wrapped it up a week ago. And uh, so we trained eight individuals. And um, my hope is that uh, we will stay in contact with them to see um, how things are going, wh- you know, what kind of conversations are they having within their community? Um, have they opened it up? You know, has the conversation opened up more? And um, then, what additional kinds of training do they think they need um, to help them with this issue? 
so that's been been exciting and uh we look to continue that uh next was year that, as well did you run into that did you guys run into that where you had heard that there were people or you knew there were people going to clergy and so therefore you wanted the clergy to be well informed about gambling or did they sort of come to you and say hey we're getting a lot of talk about problem gambling amongst no i think we we had identified it as as an issue um so we had been talking to other other groups um and 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 hearing firsthand that yeah going to a counselor isn't our immediate first step and so it's like okay what what can we do to help facilitate the conversation because honestly that's the first step, right? Is for the gambler to say, to have a conversation with somebody to say, you know what? I think I'm in trouble. I think something's not right here. And to have a conversation where the other person has a basic understanding of the addiction so that they don't misrepresent things um, and that they can listen with, um, you know, with a certain amount of um, education behind them and it, but they're not, they're not trained to be counselors. Uh, they're not there to fix the person. They're there to really listen um, and um, understand what the nature of the problem is and to develop a relationship around, around that conversation um, so that there's a level of trust that's, that's built. And then maybe over a period of time, the, uh, the person impacted will go see, you know, seek treatment or attend a GA meeting or, you know, whatever, but um, to have another outlet uh, of a trusted individual that they can begin the conversation with, I think is important. Um, so we, we hope to be able to replicate that um, throughout the state um, over time. I like that because they're targeting a need and educating all I do is cold email reporters and ask them to do stories about gambling addiction. <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah. And do you have much luck with that? Cause I don't. <laughs> uh, once in a while, once in a while, it did work out once because then I actually reached out to a reporter and just said, Hey, in your next, I feel like such a sometimes, but I said, Hey, in your next story, could you mention the 800 number when you talk about gambling, even in a business sense? And she, she came back and she said, I usually do. I usually do. I just, oh, that's good. And I said, oh, wonderful. And then a few weeks later, she called me about, she was actually writing a story about in, um, I think, Downriver, Detroit, one of the, uh, not a bank, a uh, credit union was doing the same thing where they were uh, not letting people use any of their credit union cards for gambling. Oh. And gambling in Michigan had just started. And I thought it was wonderful for the same reasons we spoke about. Um, I know that I also... I also said I would have been pissed off if I was the consumer, but again, I was acting out of an addiction, but yeah, it, it, um, it, so once in a while it worked out other times. I just feel like I'm talking to nobody because you don't get, yeah, it's, it's not an easy, we have found getting press coverage pretty difficult. Although I have to say we, we lucked out in, uh, in April, like it was, we were featured on a, on a public radio program. Um, so we got, Oh, good. 40, 45 minutes. Um, oh, it was a talk in, you know, call in. And um, so that was really the first time that we had uh, received that much time on, on air, uh, which was wonderful. And 
it you know it you barely scratched the surface but yeah um, at least we were able to get it did people call in with questions about what is problem gambling or what is it that you do at north star or everything well so the the program uh was myself and then one of our treatment providers Um, The producer was uncomfortable when we talked about doing the program. She said, well, since it's a call-in program, she said, I don't feel comfortable not having a provider um, on the call. And I said, absolutely. So made a recommendation in terms of, you know, who who could join me. The calls were excellent. Um, I mean, several people who they themselves were, uh, you know, uh, addicted to gambling, uh, and talked about how, how difficult it was and, but that treatment had helped. Um, and, and so it was, it was a good interchange with, with people. And I just wish we had more opportunities to do things like that, because honestly, the more you talk about it, the more people learn it, it becomes, less fearful, less stigmatized. Um, yeah. and, and you realize that, you know, a lot of good people end up with this problem and, you know, they're, it's horrible for them while they're in it, but there's a way to get out of it. And, you know, to, to, to really talk about that, uh, piece of it so that it's, you know, you take the judgment away from all of it and, and get people, um, hopeful that, that enough people have, they're not alone, um, as they listen to this, right. And they, they may feel a monicum of inspiration to pick up a, you know, phone for, uh, either the 800 number or, or whatever, um, to, to have a conversation with somebody. So if somebody calls your 800 number, which we should give out now, so everybody has it, um, would you like to, I'm staring right at it as well, if, if you're not staring at um, it. Let's see, 1-800-333-4673. That's 1-800-333-4673. For anybody in the state of Minnesota, and you also have a uh, text and you can chat online. We and of do. course, an email as well. Um, in right. case people don't want to, which I, I understand that, but I think the text is, is brilliant that everyone's using that because it's just easier to put your feelings down in a text when nobody has to listen to your voice and you don't have to wait on hold for someone that you're going to be afraid of. Uh, I remember all those feelings. So to be able to just text and be like, I think I am really screwed here and I need help is uh, brilliant. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think um, a number of people just feel more comfortable using using text. So I, I think however however people can get to us, um, that's that's the important thing. And I, and when I say us, uh, North Star does not. Um, we are not, we we have an outside vendor for the for the helpline. Um, well, so, there's only two of you. I don't. I wouldn't expect that you could answer phone calls 24 hours a day and get work done. No, not 24 hours a day. But I know other state affiliates do answer the calls, and and frankly, I'd like to get to that point. I think it's important to hear firsthand from from people um, what it is that they're they're really struggling with, because it it would inform me in terms of what what more do we need to be offering. Uh, what more do we need to be doing? And um, not that I would at all um, purport to be a counselor on the on the line, but just to to have the con- 
a conversation and then direct them to the resources that they need. Text HOPE to 53342. Right. So what, it's always my favorite question, but I never, uh, <laughs> I think I was asked it in a weird way. What do you need in Minnesota? What do you need that you don't have? Do you just need more people? Do you need more residential treatment facilities? Do you hmm. need, I mean, money, obviously, you need more money, but what would what would you use money for? Do you see any needs that you can meet right now, or is it sort of a wait and see? Well, I think, first of all, we need people to really understand what this addiction is about. Um, so, and and I think that requires, that does require some more money in terms of exposure, right? So uh, advertising, you know, those kinds of, so we spent a good chunk of change during Problem Gambling Awareness Month, more than we ever had spent. And uh, we we were able to do billboards, radio, you know, digital ads, uh, newspaper. So, you know, quite, quite an extensive um, reach, but it costs a lot of money. And you you know, it's just not sustainable given given what our funds are. I would like to see the state, the state agency, the Department of Human Services. I would like to see the legislature take gambling addiction more seriously and really understand it. Um, I don't think they've paid as close attention to this issue as they should. It's well, especially been- if they're going to ponder legalizing anytime soon. <laughs> It'd be nice if they understood what they were legalizing. Right. And also the the program itself is really um, not, it hasn't kept up to date. So um, I'd like to, to see it meet best practices. And so for the next legislative session, I've already created a 18 point <laughs> a best practice bill for problem gambling. Uh, regarding training, um, accountability. You created a bill? Yeah. You're the first one on this podcast to do that that I'm aware of. (laughs) Yes. Uh, That is really impressive. Well, it's, I mean, I didn't write the whole bill. I've, you know, it's You put together an outline for what you'd like to see. Yeah. From the state legislature in regarding, regarding. Right, uh, because. Gambling. That, that to me, my role as an advocate, that's something I can do. So is this regardless of any future legalization? This is current. You'd like to see this be implemented currently, what you wrote. Yeah. So uh, I will will be working with some state legislators uh, to bring it to a formal bill introduction. So what? So then your hope would be what with that? That it would pass. <laughs> that, that it would certainly raise attention to the issue, right? That um, the state does set money aside for problem gambling, but what do you what do you really know about this issue? Because in my conversations with legislators this session, they don't know. They just don't know. And and quite frankly, it's a lot to ask, right? Because they've got so many other things on their plate. But yet the state is taking money from gambling sources. We know that gambling is problematic for a number of people. So as an elected official, as a policymaker, you have the responsibility to understand what the impact of those decisions are on what we uh, 
you know, so it's 220,000 Minnesotans who are impacted by problem gambling, and 56,000 are likely with a gambling disorder. So that's, you know, that's a significant number of people in your state that have an issue, and we need to be paying more attention to this. And it's it's not necessarily um, a great deal more of money, per se, that has to address these initial things. Clearly, we would like more money um, because it would enable us to do more things more quickly. Um, Right now, everything is kind of piecemeal because you have a small budget. You can only do so much in a year. I got two people, you know, it's, it's, um, there, there are a lot of limitations there, you know, capacity building, um, money would enable capacity building and, um, and to get, and to get the word out. So you seem like you like to get stuff done. Not, you just said the piecemeal is piecemeal and I got to do this and that you want to get something done. Yeah. I, you know, as a trained city planner, I was trained to look at the long view, you know, so what we plan today, what, what's it, what's its impact going to be 20, 30 years? I mean, I used to do, um, so, you know, what is that going to look like? And it's the same thing with any policy, right? That you, if you put something on the books, what's it going to look like? How, how do you want that to work over the course of time? And I think when uh, the gambling uh, fund was created in the state, it was done in, in a non-comprehensive way. And we know much more than we did 20 years ago about problem gambling. And it's time to lift the hood, look at it and say, okay, here's what could be improved. And this is a more comprehensive, you know, I'm, what I'm trying to introduce is a more comprehensive approach from soup to nuts in terms of how we engage people in this issue, um, how we educate them from middle school through, you know, adulthood. Um, we have no aftercare infrastructure in Minnesota for gambling addicted people. There's no place for them to go. If so, if they end up, you know, they come out of residential treatment, 30 days, maybe 60 days. Is that enough time for somebody just to re-enter their life again without, you know, without potential harm again? Um, So there's lots of things that need to be considered. If we're really aiming to help the individual to to make a broken person more whole, right? So that they can get on that road to recovery and to regain their lives. What are all those steps required? Because if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's not just do it, you know, halfway. So I like this scene. I'm inspired again. I love getting inspired because uh, you seem very determined and that inspires me because then I go, she's right. We like, we can do this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I have those feelings, but they're fleeting. I just talked to Jeff about this. I said, I leave inspired, but I have trouble bottling up that inspiration and opening it the next day. I wake up and I'm like, uh, so this is, you know, I love having these conversations because now I'm all jazzed up and inspired again from what you said. Uh, so I wish you all the best with that. That sounds really cool. And I yeah, thanks. Updated on what happens with that, because if, if that seems like a good, 
I'm not saying other people don't do this. I honestly have no idea. No one else has mentioned. No, I think there I are recall. others who do it. Yeah. And it's very possibly, I, I, very possible. I've just insulted, you know, all the good people I've <laughs> spoken with. But to, I think it's amazing to see something very small. You know, I know Susan, she wrote this. And if it gets up to that level and they pass a bill that includes this, then it shows me like, look, it can be done and very simple, like from your desk to the state of Minnesota. Right. And that that's a reachable goal then. Whereas this is and we all have different. that capacity as as constituents, we all have that capacity. Um it's 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 it seems like a very intimidating process. Yes. But it doesn't have to be. And again, it's about building relationships with legislators, uh getting people to understand this is why this needs to happen. And if you find a few champions for the bill, then things can move. So. That's 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 wonderful. I uh, I find that inspiring. So thank you so much, Susan. This has been fun to speak with you again. And yes, thank uh, you for the opportunity. I appreciate our, our lost conversation uh, <laughs> gone forever. It's no longer on my hard drive. Gone forever into the ethos. But I, I really enjoyed doing this again. Thank you so much. And all right. I hate to say good luck, but good luck with everything in uh, in Minnesota. I hope it I hope it works out well and keep us posted on everything going on. I will. Thank you so much. Uh, is there anything else that you guys are working on that you wanted to mention, or anything upcoming, or uh, the no, name of your daughter's I... podcast? Anything of the sort? <laughs> Maneuvering. That's um, the name of the is podcast. The name, is the name of the podcast. You should plug it. You never so know. If you, you want to hear, if you who... want to hear a conversation with two uh, mid twenty year olds um, who are talking about their lives and. Um, they're both feminists. And so it's, uh, it's been really interesting to, she interviewed Good. me for Mother's Day. So. Oh, cool. Well, we'll have yeah. to listen to that. Yeah. So. Well, awesome. Well, thank you again. Epic Risk Management. EpicRiskManagement.com. They educate, they raise awareness through their lived experience. They can help your organization learn more about gambling-related harm. So please reach out, epicriskmanagement.com. Epic Risk Management. This podcast is owned by Lee Street Media, LLC. Music provided by T-Vance. Remember, this is a podcast. The views expressed on the podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. If you need help for a gambling addiction, please seek professional help.